Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Sunday morning when we're going to spend time thinking about the faithfulness of God. And in particular, because of the scripture that we have today on what the faithfulness of God looks like. And frankly, I, I feel a little bit like it's been a long time coming. As, as I think about the cycle of sermons we've had that started the whole story of Abraham and bringing up to this particular time, it's been three months that we've been having sermons about this. We've looked at 10 different chapters, or we're in the 10th chapter today, chapter 12 to 21. It seems like a long time, but then when I find out somebody's expecting a child, it often seems like it takes a very long time. At least we're not Abraham and Sarah, because this whole story for them took 25 years to play out. And uh, that's what I would call a rather abnormal pregnancy for that long. But yet, we come to this chapter, a verse that's already been read, and it just is so exciting to see that in verse 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. That word promised just leaps out at you, knowing that the faithfulness of God is about him keeping his promise. And like I said, it seems like it's taken forever. We saw Abraham in the 12th chapter when God speaks to him about making a great nation with him and blessing him and giving him descendants and giving him a land. And and we go on to the 15th chapter where once again, this topic comes up. And he's given the information that he is definitely going to have an heir and an offspring and that God is going to be with him. And then we go to the 17th and 18th chapters of the book and we find out about this covenant relationship where he wants to have with Abraham, where Abraham's physical son, this promised child, will be the heir of the covenant and the covenant keeper, so to speak. And then finally, we come to the 21st chapter, this birth of Isaac that we've just read about. Do you ever begin to feel like sometimes in the Bible, there's a lot of repetition? We just had this story here and we have it again and we have it again and we have it again. When repetition happens and often it happens in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, It usually means that you should perk up and pay attention because it's important. God repeats often things that he wants to make sure you understand and you get. Like, turn out the light when you go from out of the room. Did you ever hear that as a child? Did your parents ever repeat something important to you over and over and over and over? Maybe you got it, maybe you didn't, but that didn't stop them from saying it to make sure you understood that it was important. In this case, it's about some of the most important things that you could possibly imagine because God is taking his revelation of himself into the next step. And it's like he's putting a spotlight on this story of what's happening. So you can't miss it. You can't forget it. And you see what God did in a miraculous, mighty way. I love the fact that we sang that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, earlier today. It's such a 
a wonderful song that illustrates the truth of God's faithfulness that he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. As a matter of fact, I'd like to repeat it. Not, not that we sing it, but I think it would be good, as often they did in the Old Testament, to say it together, to have a congregational reading, so to speak. Put it up on the screen. Let's say this as a congregational reading so that we can reinforce the truths of this song. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. What a wonderful promise. Uh, It's not just something that's nice for Abraham and Sarah to think about, but, but it's something wonderful for us to think about as we look at their story. And particularly since we live in a time in a culture when, well, there's a lot of people who don't believe in the promises of God. There's a lot of people who don't even believe in God. How sad it is for me to see how he attempts to communicate with people and share with people And yet they miss the point altogether. He makes promises. He has made promises. He's even journaled about his promises. So that we can't miss the point. And maybe in times of great joy we go to his word and we see what he's done and it makes us feel good. Or maybe in times of despair we go and we read or we talk with the people of God and we learn stories like Abraham and Sarah who for 25 years were promised this special gift of a child and finally he does just what he said he would do. He proves that he is faithful in keeping his promises. The second verse goes on to say, And Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. (laughs) I like the discussion we're starting to have now because it's about his power. You know, promises would be no good if he didn't have the power or the ability to keep them. And promising someone who is 90 years old to be able to conceive and bear a child, that's a big promise unless you are able to back it up with the power to do it. And that's exactly what he did. And not everybody was overly sure it could happen. I mean, there's even times from the 12th chapter to the 21st chapter that sometimes Abraham even says, uh, you do know how old we are and you do know how old my wife is. And even at one point in the 18th chapter, Sarah is almost snorting in a little bit of a laughter as she says, I'm all worn out. That's a loose paraphrase, but that's basically what she says. I'm worn out. My stuff doesn't work anymore. That's the idea. And yet in power, He changed all of that and he made it possible for things to work, things to happen by his hand and by his stroke. I love the way that Paul talks about this particular story. He goes back in the book of Romans and he references this in the fourth chapter. 
Speaking of Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness, which could also be translated deadness, of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He's fully convinced in the power of God. Abraham believed and the ultimate sovereignty of God came through his belief to make a difference and make it possible for the two of them to have a child. Now, while God could have uh, shortened our weight and their weight, you know, in the 12th chapter, he could have just said, okay, I'm making this arrangement with you. Go home and in a month or so, your wife will be expecting. He didn't do that. He made them wait for 25 years. I wonder why. I think he wanted them to wait to underscore the power with which he could work in their lives. And in so doing, it also underscores the power with which he can work in our lives. Reading on in that passage from Romans, picking up in the 22nd verse where I ended, that is why his faith, Abraham's, was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You know, it's interesting as we read this story in Genesis, it can, it can seem so far removed from us, but it isn't. It's connected to us. For just as God quickened the womb of Sarah and made it possible for her to bring forth Isaac, so too is he able to take all sorts of dead things and bring them back to life, including his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins and mine. And in so bringing him back to life, making it possible for us to have a spiritual life. In Christ, there's a connectivity, there's a repetition of thought. Old things that seem dead, like there's no hope, God can resurrect and use it for life. He's even so powerful, He can remove this scaffolding, (laughs) He can open the dead womb above us. And bring light. And all God's people said, Amen. That's another sermon. Well, promise and power fuel God's plan. It really lets us see how he is faithful to us. When we begin to understand the depth of his plan and the 
and the the compassion, <coughs> the scope of his plan. The first ministry I had was uh, was many years ago, and I was hired to be a youth minister for a church that had hardly any youth. I could take all of the children birth through eighth grade and put them in my car. <laughs> Cars were bigger then, but they weren't that big. And I didn't need a very big car. I could correspondingly also get the high school youth group in the car if I didn't have the little children in. I'll never forget a few months after going there, being in a worship service, when a a new family came in, they'd only come a few times, and this time they came in bringing a brand new baby girl. (coughs) And it was a much smaller auditorium than this, but it had much more lively acoustics. And about halfway through the sermon, the little girl started crying. She didn't cry a lot. She cried, or excuse me, she didn't cry a little. She cried a lot. And it reverberated and you almost couldn't hear anything that was going on. And the minister finally just stopped and said, will you listen to that? And I thought the woman was going to die right there. (coughs) He said, I love the sound of that baby. Have you ever heard a better sound in your life? That's the sound of life. We haven't had a baby cry in this church for years and years. We need to have children in our church. It's just like a breath of fresh air and a drink of cold water. He said, you bring your baby every Sunday. I don't care how much she cries because it's the sound of life. And that's the situation we find when we move to the next verse, verse three and four of the 21st chapter. Abraham called his name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, and Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. What that pastor was talking about was the covenant relationship that we have together as the body of Christ. And in this story, we're seeing the beginnings of those kinds of covenant relationships that God has with his people on the day that Isaac was not only brought and named, but circumcised, being brought into the plan that God had put in place, the plan which required a child, a baby. The church that I was at, if they didn't get children, they were going to die. And this clan is going to die without that promised child. Yet God has given that child. And he said, I'm going to be your God and you are going to be my people and I'm going to bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. I'll be with you. I'll fill you. I'll guide you. We, you will be my special possession. You'll know me. We will go through this together is what he said. And the whole world will be blessed through you. On Tuesday mornings, I come to church because I have an elder staff prayer meeting, and it's at 7.30. And I leave my house at 7 because 
even though I come get here five or ten minutes early, for me, being five or ten minutes early is just being on time. But a lot of times, if I leave at seven, I get here 15 minutes early, which is a little early. So sometimes I think I'll wait five or ten minutes and go just a little bit late, forgetting that the last time I went ten minutes late, I got stopped by a school bus. Every time I go 10 minutes late, I get stuck by a school bus. And then it gets me to the place where I'm either late or almost late. You know what a school bus is. Have any of you ridden on a school bus ever? You've certainly probably gotten stopped behind one. It's something that picks up children, children of all ages, very young children, older children, and it takes them from point A to point B so that they can learn, so they can be taught, so they can come to grips with the things that make them grow and flourish and become responsible. This covenant relationship that God is initiating with Abraham and his family and now this new child Isaac, signified by the act of circumcision, This covenant relationship reminds me a little bit of a school bus. Call it a covenant bus, if you will. And it's not a bus that just takes him over one day and brings him back and takes him over one day and brings him back. He's talking about his people coming in and and dwelling with him and, and being in this school bus, if it will, that will take them not just from point A to point B, but will take them through time. They won't be there for just a few hours, but they'll be there for their life as they grow up, as they develop, as they begin to understand the way God thinks, as they begin to become the people that he's called them to be, as he gives them laws and things that help define them, help make them into people who are a reflection of his love, his thoughts, his power, his holiness, and his righteousness. And and, and it's not just a ride because they want to go on a cruise forever. It's a ride, ride with a purpose because this covenant plan of God, which requires the birth of a miracle child is looking forward to a time when another miracle child in a different way is going to come to put all of what they have been taught into his own person and body as he becomes and is the son of God who's come to now spread that message to the whole world. We call it a message of good news. And this is a good news. Isaac is needed to make this bus run and he will be that child of promise so that they can go forward and they can come to Christ eventually. And the whole world will know and be blessed. The Apostle Paul, again, he keeps coming back to some of the things that this story is. If you have time and we don't have time now, go to the second chapter of the book of Colossians. And you can read in that book a place where he picks up almost all the imagery or the things that are talked about in here. And he uses it to communicate his thoughts. When he's talking to people who have left the old world behind, who've left their sinful nature behind and they've come to God. They come to Christ in faith accepting him as Lord and Savior. And then his phraseology is the hand of Christ circumcises away their old self. 
They're buried in baptism, raised to a new life. The old self is nailed to the cross. Because of faith, they have come to him and they have been members or made members of this new covenant. You see, this plan is not just something that would interest Abraham and Sarah and later on Isaac and the people who are watching. It's a plan that interests all of us because it has to do with each and every one of us. It's our path. It's our story. It's our message. And it's wonderful to know that God had us in mind when he kicked this plan off. He's a faithful God, not just to these people, but he's a faithful God to all creation because of his plan. I also got to thinking about this sermon and realized that I had preached this text once about 40 years ago. That would make me 40 years younger than I am right now. You laugh. Actually, this, this story is a story about laughter. You know, he named his son Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. It's a story about laughter. I was looking for a good way at the time to uh, kick it off. You know, I wanted a lighthearted way to start the story. And I got to thinking there was a couple in the church in their mid-80s, the Dowlings. Only family in the church with that name. Everybody in the church knew the Dowlings. Mr. Dowling had been the founding dean of our local theological seminary. He'd spoken many times at church. He was a leader. His wife was a faithful person. Everybody knew them. They had a lot of personality. So here's how I started the sermon. Big news today from the Dowlings. Did you hear? Mrs. Dowling is expecting A baby. Well, everybody hearty, hard, hard on that. Because, well, it was, it was just kind of ludicrous, really. They were way past all of that, just physically. And being in my late 60s, I'm happy about that. I thought it went over fairly well until I walked out into the lobby And I saw Mrs. Dowling over there against the wall. I looked at her and she looked at me. And then she did this. I really wasn't very worried because she and I were buds and we got along great. I thought. Or at least we had up until that moment. So I went on out and went to another spot in the church where there was another kind of a gathering. And I looked over on the other side and I saw Mr. Dowling over there. And our eyes looked and he also gave me a hand gesture. (laughs) He had a totally different perspective on that sermon than his wife did. But, you know, you laugh and I laugh and it's, it's a happy memory for me. That particular sermon and that particular interaction with those faithful people of God. It was a fun day. And, and 
in every way should understand this passage of scripture as a, as a fun passage. On the day that Isaac was circumcised, he was named. It says Abraham named his son Isaac. Now we know because we've talked about it already that God had told him to name his son Isaac. He laughs. Laughter. Partly because, well... Abraham at one point had laughed a little bit about the thought and his wife had laughed about the thought and it's like, are you serious? And, but yet it happened. And this would have been a great party, a great celebration. And there would have been singing and dancing and all of those kinds, as it rightly should be. But, but I also kind of think that if we can think about God being a God of promise and power and a plan, he also likes a good pun. Or at least maybe he has a sense of humor. I like that in my God. I, I, I like it that he understands us and he knows how to communicate with us. And he takes advantage of a situation. I think Isaac is a better name choice, even though it might conjure up a few things in the names that Isaac chose for his children. Esau, which means hairy, and I mean H-A-I-R-Y, and Jacob, which means supplanter. At least Isaac is historically accurate. It's correct. It catches the feel of the moment. Of course, I also think about that time in the 18th chapter when Sarah's hearing the word of God about her giving birth and she sort of snorts a laugh to herself like, you got to be kidding. And the Lord says, you laughed. And she says, no, I didn't. He said, yes, you did. It's a little bit ironic that now he names her child laughter. I often wonder if he didn't kind of feel like who's got the last last laugh now. I mean, you would have to sort of remember those kinds of things every time you hollered and called your son in. She talks about how wonderful it all. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she is right. It's a moment of joy. It's a moment of celebration because God has brought them to this place and has given them a wonderful son. Of course, the story goes on. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham. Well, I'm, I'm sure it was. It's a, it's, a, it's a serious moment. Now, we don't have a whole lot in this particular verse other than the fact it uses this same general word that uh, he, she caught Ishmael laughing at her son. Now, we don't know exactly how old everybody was. 
Often when people were weaned, I think today if you read commentaries, they say, oh, well, he would have been a year old. But as you look in Old Testament tests and you see things of other people who were weaned, for example, Samuel, he's weaned and taken and given to Eli. And it seems to be about three years because a sacrificial bull that is three years old is given. And there's there's other places that make us think that maybe three years was a little more like the time. It could have been a little less. It could have been a little more. But if it was three years, then Isaac would be three. Abraham would be 103. Sarah would be 93. And Ishmael, who was 14 at the birth of his brother, would now be 17. And I don't know if laughing and jesting got out of hand It could be taunting. This text could even be translated as mocking. We just don't know for sure. But I like the fact that once again, we can go to the Apostle Paul, who referenced this text, and he gives us a little more insight. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but children of the free. Whatever happened here, it was something that caused Sarah's flags to go up. The warning bells start sounding. She looked and saw Ishmael as a threat to her son Isaac. I don't mean that it was a physical threat, although there is a huge difference in their ages. Something that made her see that her son's responsibility, her son's inheritance responsibility was in jeopardy. And she would do anything that she felt she needed to do if it would protect her son and protect the keeper of the covenant, if you will. She may have been uh, maybe not as spiritually motivated as I just said, but the point is that although Abraham was very disturbed about it, God quickly came in and agreed with Sarah. And said, you're right, you should listen to what your wife said. The child needs to be protected. The covenant needs to be protected. And there's all kinds of times we're going to see down the road where God moves in and he protects the covenant people. I mean, we, we even saw when the earth got bad earlier in the book of Genesis that the family of Noah is protected in the ark while the rest of the world is taken out so that this family can reboot, so to speak. And we'll see the people of God whenever they're in peril, the covenant people of God. We'll see God moving in Genesis and throughout the rest of the Old Testament to protect and guide and care for his people. And this was such as a serious situation that there is no way that that could be risked. So in speaking to Abraham, God communicated to him that this is a plan. And it should have been no surprise because there had been scriptures about Isaac, or excuse me, Ishmael, and who he was and what he would be. As a matter of fact, one of the most interesting ones, I think, 
Kind of goes along maybe a little bit with what Sarah said in the 16th chapter. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Yet God, in spite of all that, promised to love Ishmael. He made him a great nation. There's a long story that goes on about him and his mother being cast out in there in the desert. Yet God comes in in a very providential way. Even though he's not a part of that covenant plan, God moves in to protect him, to save him, sustain him, to raise him up and bless him so that he can thrive. And he sustains Isaac so he can thrive. And Isaac can be the keeper of the covenant. The one who takes this work of God forward. So that the people of God can be established. So they can be there. So they can be the bearers of God's message and information. And eventually produce the Messiah who is Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. And make it possible for all people's everywhere to be blessed. It's amazing to think about God, his providence, as he looks out for all people. It reminds me of a New Testament verse. uh, You've probably never heard it, but if you have, you can quote it with me. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be. Oh, I think you can do that a little bit louder. So the world through him might be. That's the faithfulness of God working in this family, but working in this family So he can include us in that family as well. Let's pray. Oh, God, our help in ages past. We come to you today so thankful for your love, your care, your overarching generosity in revealing yourself to us and making it possible through the blood of Jesus Christ, your son, to be your people. We thank you and praise you in the name of Christ. Amen.